And the tragedy for anyone in this room and anyone around today is that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart the moment of truth for you would arrive and you completely miss the appointment. You just don't even show up. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Luke chapter 19, we begin reading in verse 28. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the coat? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Johnny Cash's final music video was a re-recording of the song Hurt. It had originally been done by a group called Nine Inch Nails and it really talks about the vanity and the depression of life and if you've seen this video he intersperses it with scenes of himself as a younger man conquering the world, being famous, and he does this with other figures who have gone on before and as the video begins to progress it's interspersed with Johnny Cash getting older and instead of being young and vibrant he's aged and has arthritis and and towards the end of the video you start seeing as he's got all these riches he talks about it's just really a pile of dirt and at the end you will lose friends and you will suffer as well and he pours his wine glass over the feast at his table because all of it's about to go away And you see just glimpses of the cross. And he begins to show towards the end of his life that the cross of suffering is the only hope that we really have. This discouragement, this depression even, over the suffering that we see in the world today, it's why Anakin Skywalker will destroy everyone in his path in order to save his wife. He ends up killing his own soul and her heart in the process. This desire to alleviate suffering. You know why teenage girls harm themselves? Number one reason is it's not what you think. You will ask them what they will tell you, the reason they do what they do, 
is because it's the only time in their life when they can control the suffering and when they can control the pain. Or we'll go out of our way to avoid pain, won't we? We'll take pills, we'll do surgeries, we'll break off relationships, we'll not talk with people who we haven't seen. In the middle of all that, Jesus is telling us that the only way to get rid of suffering is through suffering. It seems counterintuitive, and yet that's exactly what he is explaining to us. He's essentially choreographing the, the sequence of events leading to his death here, is he not? He says, come forward, you'll find a, a donkey tied just so. When somebody asks you what it's for, you tell them the master has need of it and all these things come to place. And as Jesus is entering this procession from the Mount of Olives on his mission toward Jerusalem, it's the prophetic fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 when he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And when they throw their cloaks down in front of his path as he comes along, they are giving him the New Testament version of the red carpet treatment. This is Hollywood, Jerusalem style. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But if you will look just beneath the surface, there's something almost unsettling about this procession, is there not? This wasn't the way to have a proper entry. The Romans knew how to do it better. First of all, you don't come on a donkey. You come in a chariot with two white horses in front of you and a servant holding a crown over your head and you take all of your enemies behind you and you drag them in in chains. Jesus doesn't do any of that. And beyond that, the Pharisees try to have him rebuke his disciples. And Jesus says, if I was to do that, the very rocks would cry out. Creation knows when it's creator in place, even when those who created in his image refuse to see it. And rather than being blessed by this celebration, Jesus becomes burdened. And as he looks around at the crowds gathered to celebrate him, the burden of the spiritual weight of the world weighing him down, you see the full humanity of God on display when he looks to Jerusalem and he begins to weep. God the Father fully expressing human emotions through Christ the Son. Solomon had said there's a time for this, time to laugh, time to mourn. The Bible records several passages of Jesus weeping in the Gospels. There's the episode of his friend Lazarus who had died, and when he came to Mary, she was so upset. The Bible records the shortest verse in all of the Bible, John 11, 35. It just says, Jesus wept. Perhaps you've been there. I remember... One of the close deaths that really hit me in my life was when I was about 25. I've had several friends and relatives die, but when you have a relative that you've known all your life and you're fairly close to and they go to be with the Lord, sometimes it's a, it's a difficult thing, is it not? And, and my Aunt Pearl was, was one of those people. She, uh, she could tell you everything about Kentucky's starting lineup and their bench players. You know, up until her, her, her 80s, she, she knew everything that was going on. She was one of those types. She was 
such a, a, a generous and caring person. She's one of those people who would talk to you about people that she thinks you might know, that she's grown up around all her life, and you have no idea who they are, but she thinks you're supposed to. Have you been there? So that was a lot of our conversation about people who I had no idea who they were. I, she was very generous. I remember one point when she found out that my car had, had some type of issue several years ago, and I didn't really have the money to repair it and didn't tell anybody that. I walked up after a memorial service for somebody else, and there she was out in the car. She couldn't get out. She said, Barry, come here. And I came over there, and she said, I hear your car is in trouble. And I said, well, it's probably seen better days. She said, here, I want to help you fix it. And I said, you don't have to do that. And I opened it up, and there was money in that envelope to fix the, the car. I remember going to see her in the, in the hospital. Um, she had gone through the valley of the shadow of death, and they didn't know if she was going to make it. She had kind of gone to sleep and wasn't waking up all that often. I just went in there and, and sat down beside her. And after a few minutes, she opened her eyes and she looked up and she said, well, hi, Barry. You know how you go from being about 25 to four in the presence of somebody that you've known all your life? That's what it felt like. And when she passed away, just a, a week or two after that, I remember walking up to the casket. I've been to the casket many times in ministry, but that particular time, I, I just lost control of my emotions and, and could not keep it in because this separation, this suffering was felt by me. Jesus sees this suffering. He sees this separation that sin has caused. Matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he sweated like it was sweat drops of blood. And at one point, he looks at these people who are following him along the trail to Golgotha, to Calvary, and he sees these women weeping, and he says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. Because you don't understand the depth of your sin and why you are here. There's an old spiritual that we used to sing a long time ago. It goes, Mary, don't you weep, don't you weep no more. But Mary does weep. And so does Rachel. Because her children are no more. And the bridegroom and the wedding feast that they have celebrated is over because the chief guest is about to leave the scene. We hear people today telling us, go with the crowd, go with the majority, wherever you are. Ask yourself how that's ever worked out in the Scripture. Just one week before the crucifixion, the crowds are celebrating Jesus, Hosanna, and then the very next week, the same people will say, crucify Him. Because there's a big difference between the applause of men and the applause of God, is there not? And when we come to Jesus for the things that he can offer us, for the things that we think we can get, rather than for the gift of himself, we've got a problem. My fear today is that many who claim the name of Christ come for what they can receive of Christ and not for Christ himself. There is a difference. And if we're honest with ourselves, the, the crucifixion almost forces us to ask the question, did God mess up? You say, how could God mess up? He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, everywhere, all things, in all places. I hear somebody say sometimes, well, you need to just let God work in your life, let God work. And I understand what you're saying, but I almost want to laugh at that, <laughs> if you're going to let God do anything. The Egyptians let God 
destroy them when they refuse to obey? Did the Israelites, when they turn their back, listen, the God of the Bible does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, regardless of whether or not you let him. And you better understand that. And so the question again must be asked, did God mess up? Well, we see this Old Testament version of a God of power, and then there's this New Testament God who gives up that power. And yet people don't see this. Casting Crowns wrote a song a few years ago talking about while the people were sleeping. It's a different take on the town of Bethlehem. And then they refer to Jerusalem. And they talk about this town of Jerusalem where there's another silent night. The father gives his son the way, the truth, the life comes, but there's no room for him in the world he came to save. The Savior of the world is dying on the cross today. Jerusalem is sleeping. They go down in history as the city with no room for the king. And then they relate it to the United States of America. They say we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees, kill the children. While we're lying in the dark, there's a shout heard across the eastern sky for the bridegroom has returned and has carried his bride away in the night. And the tragedy for anyone in this room and anyone around today is that the Holy Spirit would convict your heart the moment of truth for you would arrive and you completely miss the appointment. You just don't even show up. Because you've got things that you think are more important to do and your eternal fate you can just push off to whenever. And then one day, as you're looking back on the scenes of your life, you wake up and your marriage is over. You run into your kids and you don't even know who they are or who they've become because the time of visitation came for you and you decided not to show up. And Jesus says, woe to you, Jerusalem, for the king that you have sought has arrived and one day the temple is going to be destroyed and all will be left is a western wall, the wailing wall, and yet you're so caught up in what you've got going on that you totally miss it. Do we take time to consider what Isaiah says that he was wounded for our transgressions? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Dear friend, do you know that the pet sin for you that you don't think a big deal about, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way that the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you not recognize that the sin that you take so lightly, that God's word that you treat so flippantly, that he is on the cross on your behalf? You don't even take the time to see him. You don't even show up. I think as we consider Holy Week, we come into this time of remembering the crucifixion, remembering why Friday's good, and then celebrating the resurrection, maybe we ought to take some time to consider it even deeper than we normally do. I'm not talking about beating yourself with nine lashes. I'm not talking about what they do in the Philippines where people are, are crucified on Good Friday for hours at a time, put nails in them, hold them up, Take them back down at sunset. That won't create atonement for your sins. But I would encourage you this 
week. Maybe you ought to spend a day in fasting. Maybe you ought to skip a meal. You say, I, I can't skip a meal. Well, Jesus went without food for 40 days. You can last six hours. And spend some time meditating on what Christ did on behalf of the sins of the world. Because I'm convinced if we knew more about it and if we thought more about it, we wouldn't do the things that we do. Jesus says, whatever you come to in this life, wherever you end up, do not miss your appointment with God. Whatever you've got to do to get off your calendar, whatever you've got to do to put things in place, when God comes to you, be ready. Answer. They will not leave one stone turned upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. If 90% of success in life is simply showing up, 100% of success in eternity is hearing and receiving the gospel. And the Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And believer, if you claim to know God and you think that message isn't for you, it is. How much the Scripture reminds us not to fall away. We consider the sins of our Lord who took upon Him. He calls us to remember so that when we get to the end of life, we don't see everything as vanity. We see our hope in Jesus and in Christ. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.